Hello and welcome to episode six of the Commonwealth News. As always, I'm your host, Daniel, and we've got my co-host, Lawrence, alongside me. Hello. Say hello. Thank you. Uh, you can follow me on any social media, Daniel underscore TVCC, and you can also follow Lawrence at Lawrence underscore TVCC. And today is a special episode. Why is it a special episode? Well, it's a very special episode because we have a new host with us today. We do. We do. His name is Simon, and I'm going to introduce you right now. Say hello, Simon. Hello. It's fantastic to be with you here on the Commonwealth News. I'm a big fan of the show and love everything. Big fan, doing. long-time listener. Long-time listener for the, for the five episodes that precede <laughs> this one. That's good. It's good to have you along. You're going to bring some intelligence and some insight to uh, hey. our show. No, no, no offense to you. No offense, Lawrence. Uh, but yeah, we're <laughs> it's just going to bring something in as well. So it's good. Uh, we're looking forward to this episode. So in this episode, we got Ted Yarnborough on, who's a fantastic guest. And we talk about uh, the new AUKUS Defense Pact. Uh, we're also going to cover our main topic tonight is the UK... No, no, it's not Marmite. It's the UK, uh, UK strategic defense uh, plan, and uh, Simon's going to come in on that. He's a uh, he's an expert in the field, so it's going to be all good with him there. No, he's shaking your head, but I'm sure it's going to be fine. And we were also going to start with, of course, our top three stories uh, of recent time. Number one is the insulate Britain protesters. What have you guys been thinking? Don't get me started. Well, no. actually, now I've got me started. <laughs> I was going to say the whole point I, is I'm trying to get you started. Right. Like a couple of times, <laughs> annoying, but fair enough. But now it's just just irritating, isn't it? It's um and people, as you say, I think it's people getting fed up and p- passengers, passengers. Mm-hmm. Should I say passengers, pedestrians, whatever you want to call them, are just dragging them out the way now, aren't they? They're getting fed up. With it. Yes, yeah. So we're going to come to that video just uh, shortly. Uh, they they were holding up. Not, not was it ju- only just a queue, and obviously we've seen recently there was a, uh, a stroke victim who wasn't able to get to hospital, and the damages that may have caused to them is, well, we don't know yet. They could cause some serious damages. Um, but in this recent video, they actually were holding up an ambulance, and you can see the paramedic actually trying to urge them to move out the way, and in the end, some pedestrians, well, I think they're also drivers of vehicles nearby, Got a bit fed up with them, so if we just flick over to that. You can actually hear them saying there's an ambulance there. You'll see the paramedic on, come on in just a second. There he is. He, he's, did you hear that? Was that uh, an RTC he's got to go to? And then they literally just drag him out of the way. And you can see, I mean, that is a, a bad state to be in is when you're getting dragged out of the way. But did you see this little guy who's just been thrown then? He was crawling back onto the road. Like, it's, it's just humiliating for them involved. I honestly think now's got to the stage where they should just make make it class as a terrorist organization well the police are yeah the police are going to come down they're going to come down much harder on it now which is good um obviously the police aren't here at this point i don't know whether the video just started so i don't know whether they would they had just arrived there or not yeah because they're supposed to have passed an injunction now so you know it should be going should have large fines and a prison sentence i mean i'm biased on this i'm against all forms of organized protest 
Why is um, it like this? Yes, can't stand it all. It's, you know when the civil servant strikes and not getting generous enough pensions or I just don't like organized protest. Mm-hmm. But uh you know, why do you have to why do you have to block the N twenty five if you want insulated homes? I, mean, I get it's yep. sort of mass disruption, but Well the the whole point is uh is actually flawed because the government are insulating homes, so they're doing a massive rollout scheme to local governments, uh unitary governments to give them a load of money which they can put into their council house in stock to insulate those. Um, any other ones that aren't doing very well when it comes to the environment and eco-friendly. And of course, they had the Green Home Scheme, uh, which was a, a great grant that any private uh, person can actually get for their home and they could have used that to insulate their homes. So this whole thing is based on a false principle that the government aren't insulating Britain, which is completely untrue. Yeah, so definitely. they're holding up people for no reason. Well, and they're pushing against an open door, really. I mean, the government's legislated to be net zero uh, by 2050. And so really, at the moment, you need constructive debate yep. in order to think, you know, how can we sustainably get to net zero rather than just mass disruption, you know, huge tailbacks, diesel engines you know, running all the while. Yep. You know, no one is saying that our homes don't need to be insulated. In fact, you, you say we had the Green Homes Grant and there's a, a replacement coming out soon. So, you know, they're pushing against an open door. But also what they're doing is they're uh, annoying, basically, everyone. everyone in the public. And it, mm. what we're seeing now is what we saw against Extinction Rebellion when they stopped people getting to work and people just fed up with it. It's affecting yep. their livelihoods and people are getting fed up with it, aren't they? But mm-hmm. the thing is, we're, we're already doing it. Mm. We're, what they're demanding is already being done. And it's not like it's being done solely. It, the Green Homes Grant scheme was active last year. So they're completely out of touch with what's going on. It is it's completely unacceptable. Uh, but that brings us on to topic number two. And our topic number two is, uh, is uh, we, we've tried to branch out. <laughs> so this one's the UK-based news. Uh, topic number two is international. Now, I don't know if you've, uh, probably no one's ever heard of him, is Peter Nugard. He's a fashion mongol. Uh, he's going to be extradited to the US based on he's facing charges of sex sex trafficking and racketeering. Uh, So any thoughts, guys? Any thoughts on this? So where is he currently? Uh, I don't don't know where he's in Canada, isn't he? Right. Um, I believe so. So, yeah, it's apparently decades-long pattern of criminal conduct involving at least a dozen victims in the US, Canada, and other countries. So apparently there's quite a lot of people who are affected by this. Uh, yeah, so his lawyer, Brian Greenspan, said he consented to that extradition, extradition uh, so that he could contest the charges. Uh, so in December 2020, the indictment by U.S. officials in the Southern District of New York alleges Mr. Nagard used force, fraud, and cohesion coercion coercion thank you very much to engage in sexual activity with adults and minors uh, officials also accuse him of using his company's influence resources to recruit and maintain many more victims he's a finnish canadian uh and yeah he's multi-millionaire uh there he stepped down as chairman last year of the nigard international and global women's apparel business uh, and yeah, he stepped down because the he was getting investigated by the FBI task force for child exploitate exploitation. Oh, that's why Simon's here to do all the pronunciations, isn't he? Really? Yes, yes. <laughs> so, did you say he's finished being a Canadian, or he's a Finnish 
Canadian. No, no, he's a Finnish Canadian. He's not finished being Canadian. He's a <laughs> Finnish Canadian. Topic number three is New Zealand Judith Collins. She said the UK has left the door open. And this was a result of the AUKUS agreement. So what has the UK left the door open? Well, apparently the UK has left the door open uh, for China in the Indo-Pacific region. Now, I think creating a defense plan which goes against China, like we're bolstering the countries that are being affected by China, which is Australia, of course. I would say that we're not leaving the door open. In fact, we're trying to shut the door. Yeah. I think this sort of speaks to a broader sense of dissatisfaction there. Often in Canada, uh, in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, when we joined the European Union, we turned our back in terms of trade or co- yeah. uh, you know, to many of our Commonwealth partners. And I think that, that sense of resentment is still very much so there. If you speak to Australians about it, they, you very much get that sense that we did turn our back on them. And I think this is what the leader of the opposition was referring to mm. in that our joining the European Union turning our backs on the rest of the world and having a very Eurocentric view of what our foreign policy should be um, it has, has sort of left the door open, so to speak, for China. As, to, it, as in saying in the past, obviously I think now so. with global Britain moving forward, global Britain um, is looking much better. Yeah, whatever that means. <laughs> well, I believe you're going to go into a bit of that later on. Is that oh, correct? Yes. Yes, yeah? Nice. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, Lawrence, I believe we are playing your game now. So we're playing Guess the Headline hey. with Lawrence, Ma- with your favourite quiz master, Lawrence Marshall. There we go. I've made favourite and bold this week. Lovely. There we go. So uh, you, I'm sure you've seen this, Simon. But, um, a great fan of the segment. Play along now. Cool. Uh, so yeah, you've got to guess the headline. And then at the end, we've got something slightly different to talk about. So let's go with the first one. Turkey, missing man joins blank. Ooh. Oh, I, I actually know this one. I'm sorry, I'm going to jump in. He joins He joins the search of looking for himself. That is right. Oh, I was going to go for the London Marathon. <laughs> no, that is right. So apparently his family reported him missing. Uh, yes, that's a point to me. Thank you very much. He was to be missing on Tuesday. He had wandered away from his friends in a forest while drunk, according to the Daily website. His wife and friends reported him missing after they were unable to get in touch with him for several hours. Yes. Later, jo- He later joined a group in an area who were helping authorities search for him. When members of the search party began calling out his name, he replied, I am here. <laughs> from a comedy, that, isn't it? Okay, next one then. Funeral home sponsored advert urging people blank. To take dangerous life choices. Well, it might be along the, li- uh, might be along the right sort of lines there. Start smoking. Yeah. Oh. Any ideas? Anything that helps them. Um, I, I don't know. I couldn't possibly. Not to get vaccinated. Oh, <laughs> goodness. Don't get vaccinated. Wow. So, but there is a bit of a twist to this. So, um... Actual fact, on the website, if you go to the website, it says get vaccinated wow. now, if not, we'll see you soon. So it's a, a sort mm. of a ploy to get people vaccinated, but um, I thought it was quite a good headline, actually. Sh- shocking. Shocking. Okay, next one. Blank could be the scariest costume at this Halloween. Hillary Clinton. Ooh, close, oh, close, close, close. Oh, oh, um, oh, I saw that costume. Uh, what was the... Uh, 
there's a, there's a there's a ride on Elizabeth Queen Elizabeth no. costume. Is it that? Because I saw that and was like, what? Uh, I'm not sure what I'm about that. Oh, um, Kim Jong Un. No. Donald Trump. No. President Biden. Sexy Bernie Sanders outfit. No, it's horrifying. No way. Is that actually? He looks nothing like Bernie Sanders. It, it's meant to be, yeah. Like it's meant to be like coat, isn't it? It's like He's wow, crazy, isn't it? Sexy Bernie Sanders. <laughs> yeah, that's, Those that's two words you wouldn't have together, <laughs> would you? Unless it was like it not. It's been at least forty or fifty years since he's last heard that. Uh, right, couple charged blank after reviewing CCTV. Ooh, couple charge. Is it a D, so couple charged with indecent exposure after reviewing CCTV? Ooh. Is it? No. No. Uh. Couple charged guests for eating extra slice of wedding cake after <laughs> reviewing CCTV. How tight-fisted oh, no can way. you get? Wow, couple charged guests for eating extra slice of wedding cake. Wow, £3.66. I'll tell you what, if people did that to me at weddings, I'd probably be in debt. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, I can see. Cheeky. Right, next one then. Headline five. Woman charged $11 for blank during medical procedure. Martin. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, yeah, you should be charged more than that, though. Depends what the medical procedure is, I mean. Pissing. (laughs) It's not pooing either, so. um. Oral. I don't like where this is going. Woman charged £11 for emotional distress after crying during medical procedure. Brief emotion. There's even worse. It's worse when you can see it on there. Brief emotion. An American woman says she's been charged $11 after crying during a mole removal surgery. The charge was categorised as showing brief emotion. Imagine what it would have been if she'd shown a long-standing emotion or something like that. Crazy, isn't it? Brief emotion. You probably don't get charged in the NHS, I guess. Yeah, brief emotion. Yeah, yeah. Anger, anger, <laughs> anger. So twenty pounds. So that's the headlines. But um, so I love the way she got two pound twenty discount on her brief emotion, though. <laughs> uh, maybe that's because it's not um VAT or whatever they pay over there. I don't know. Um, so election. the next one, I don't know if uh, any of our viewers are on TikTok. I'm sure they are. Um, but there's quite a going on at the moment. I don't know if you've seen this. Couch guy. You can actually follow us on TikTok. You can. Commonwealth. How would they find us? Uh, Commonwealth News. Commonwealth News. Now, interesting to see what you guys think. So this has had over, when I last checked, had over 51 million views. Some people standing up for the guy. Some people are, um, well, having a go at him. So let's watch the video. Oh, I haven't got any sound. Turn off your sound. Uh, do we need sound to know what's going on? Sorry. So what people are saying basically is she's travelled all this way to surprise him and he doesn't look very surprised at all and he's there obviously with three girls. I've watched her and over and again. I can't see much of a problem but people are saying if you watch that again. You, are we, have we just wasted 30 seconds of our life? In fact, are we about to waste a minute of our life now because you're playing it again? Do you think there's anything suspicious there? Because uh, millions of people are saying there is. So we're just watching a video of a girlfriend going in. So she's basically gone on this way. So people are saying that he's... 
this is meant to be a professional news yeah. show, and you have shown us this not once, may I add, twice. You've shown us it twice now. But it's all of our viewers. Fifty-one million views. So what is people seeing in this view that we're not seeing? To be honest, I think it sums up the majority of the content on TikTok. Mm. Not us. We have. Uh, we show. Um, we post clips of our podcast on there, so of course it's very valuable. Fine However, quality. this is junk. And I do not appreciate you showing But what I'm this. saying is, can you see any issue with what's no, going on? No, I can't. So why, I can't. Where's the problem there? I don't know. I mean, to me, it's what, 51 million views. That's what, 25 million minutes. Yeah, we're, we're not watching that again. He was live. They're not going to get back. I think what I'm saying is he, he wasn't that impressed that she was there. You she have travelled all this way. He wasn't that impressed. I mean, I'd probably be a bit more. You have wasted... Three minutes nearly of our life with this rubbish. But people have watched it over and over again. 51 million Including people. Including you. Yeah. You know I've what? watched it. Because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to watch it to work out what people Lawrence, are going on, on about. That's what Lawrence, I'm watching it for. On that note, we're going to move on to our guest interview. Ah. I'm sorry. We're moving on. So today's guest is Ted Yarbrough, who is the founder and editor of Daily Globe. Uh, so we're going to start with a very broad question. Uh, what are your views on AUKUS agreement? Uh, do you support it? If so, why? Hi, hello. Thank you for having me on uh, your podcast. Um, uh, just just say that out of the way. I'm an admirer of you all. I enjoy listening. Um, in, in, I mean, in terms of the AUKUS agreement, I think it's very welcome. I think China needs to be contained. And right now, um, we just have a situation to where they are belligerent. I mean, you probably saw what happened in Taiwan yesterday when they, they were sending all these um, airplanes into Taiwanese airspace. They, they, uh, there yeah, was, was a, bad. yeah, and there, there, there was an, and what they did to Australia last year was outrageous. Australia was just asking for the WHO to, to determine the origins of the coronavirus, and China effectively put economic blockade against Australia. We actually interviewed um, on the Daily Globes podcast last year, Emily Dye from Australia, and she went into that in detail talking about how, um, you know, Australian products were rotting in Chinese ports. If China is not going to behave like a civilized nation, it's up to um, English speaking, or not even English speaking, but countries that believe in freedom uh, to band together, and and what better example than the at least for the start, I'd like to include countries like India in the future and Canada. Yes. But for now, uh, the United States, United Kingdom, and Australia banding together to at least contain China in the Pacific is a very welcome step. Yep. So I mean, you you were telling me the other day about uh, India's ship building, well, with the boat building, submarine building, yeah, they're, they're doing a pretty good job. Yeah, they're half, halfway through their, their new fleet of, of submarines, aren't they? they um, they're building a fleet of nuclear submarines, correct? Uh, aren't they nuclear-powered ballistic submarines? Nuclear-powered ballistic it? submarines. Yeah, can for you, Australia, they, they are building... Uh, uh, no, India, India. Uh, oh, India, India yes, yes, yes. They, they are as well. Um, yeah, India, I, uh, I consider, uh, you know, kind of a, a big, great hope for this century, and I would like to see them involved. I know they're already involved... In another agreement with the United States, I believe they're part of the Quad um, with Japan um, and the United States. But I, I think that India is going to be, in terms of containing China, is going to be very key. They're a Commonwealth ally. Of course, they have um, a, a thriving democracy. They, they have a, a, a military that's rapidly modernizing, as you point out. 
And I mean, in the next century, I could see them rather than China being the great power. And for the sake of freedom, I kind of hope they are. <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Uh, China is is obviously bad, but China has a lot of issues that people don't uh, refer to. They have a demographic crisis. Their one-child policy for years mm. uh, wasn't smart. Now, President Xi has gotten rid of it, but it took 30 years when and having three men to every woman for 30 years. That, that ended up being a problem. China's debt is more than 250% of its GDP. They're expanding into a lot of countries that are not you know, I know China thinks that they're building an empire, and they are. I mean, in terms of areas like copper and 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 a lot of natural resources, but they're also going making a lot of bad investments in yeah. you know parts of Africa that you know is, is a you know, money sinkhole. Um, parts of Central Asia the same way. Places in Europe like Serbia, they're trying to put in their claws. Um, so it's important to go back to the original. This AUKUS is a good first step, mm-hmm. but including. Singapore and the wider com, I mean, in uh, India and the wider Commonwealth, I think, is very important because, on you know, what's great about the Commonwealth is you have built in an alliance right there. <laughs> you just need the yep. country to agree. Fortunately, there's some like, say, New Zealand uh, recently, like Jacinda Ardern seems to be um, kind of soft on China, but you have an, a, a shared values and shared goals already in place with the Commonwealth. And, you know, of course, we want the U.S. to be involved as well, being that they are still the world's superpower. I think the Commonwealth is going to be key to containing China and other kind of belligerents in the 21st century. And and that's what military needs to be an area that's discussed more. I know that trade, obviously, trade is very important. But uh, what's so welcome about AUKUS is that it, it shows what I think is going to be a 21st century uh, needed alliance, because, frankly, NATO... I don't know what NATO serves. I mean, it serves some purpose, I guess, to contain Russia, but but the real threat isn't Russia anymore. It's China. And so that's where I think the Commonwealth could definitely come in. Integrated defense review and the uh, Indo-Pacific tilt, recognizing that China is is the rising threat to to Western and European interests. Uh, I think often Western, particularly European countries, have been pretty slow to wake up to uh, the fact that that Russia is not our only adversary now. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and if you look at it, um, what you know, what I thought was really interesting and, and was very welcome, the new Foreign Secretary Liz Trust, when she talked about our allies, uh, Britain's allies, excuse me, in the in her speech, she talked specifically about countries like she said the Commonwealth by name, she said the United States. Uh, she did mention some countries in Europe. But she didn't mention France, Germany, or the European Union. And I know that was supposedly not intentional, but it probably was. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that being is, I mean, Germany especially wanted to ram through an agreement between the European Union and China. Uh, They, I don't know what interest they have at all in maintaining um, any kind of Western alliance. I, I think that the truth is, when India has a billion people and when its economy is going to be the size of the European unions in 50 years, it, that, that's really who we need to be dealing with and focusing yes. on. And, and Australia too is important, of course. Also, I, and I've mentioned this before in my writing for years, but, and others, um, there's a great book called the case for Commonwealth free trade, uh, free trade by uh, Brent Cameron, who writes on the daily globe as yes. a Canadian yeah. counselor. Um, but it, this is the future. Um, 
And and I, I really I'm really optimistic that we have with Liz Truss, somebody I think who sees that. Um, I don't I don't know what Dominic Robb's view on it was, but he didn't say much other than Hong Kong was very good, but he didn't seem to have a a big vision. What I like seeing with her was that 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 alliance of liberty, I think was the word she or network, excuse me, of liberty. I think that's very encouraging. So we can build off AUKUS to building this network of liberty and a key part of that being the Commonwealth, which is what's so cool about what organizations like you guys are talking about, is trying to build awareness for this. Because if people know about this in government, and you know, obviously Liz Truss is on our wavelength. She does follow me on Twitter, which is really cool. Never gotten a like, oh, really? but she does follow. Me. Uh, <laughs> Still time. Yeah, yeah but uh, she. If we have people thinking like this, Britain really could be a leader, and that could really be the global Britain. And uh, that that's so uh, elusive um, to some commentators to understand. And of course, I, I welcome the United States' involvement as well. But, mm. you know, I, I think the U.S., the, the only concern with the U.S. right now, and you know, living here and being an American, um, it's not quite, I'm not really quite sure how um, stable we are in our views. I mean, it seems to kind of rattle, rattle, you know, alter dramatically between Biden and Trump and, and, you know, whereas, you know, up until the two thousands, we all kind of had one view, the, the cold war yep. fighting, but right now America seems to be kind of in flux. And if we were to get president AOC, <laughs> theoretically, <laughs> that, that, that would throw, not. yeah, hopefully not, but that would throw thing, a wrench in it. And, you know, I mean, if Trump came back, you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting to see where America would be, but I think if building the Commonwealth now, um, you know, free trade, as Brent Cameron pointed out, but also this military uh, network of liberties, less trust could do, could have really, could really set the stage for good 21st century uh, foreign policy. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm quite concerned about China's aggressiveness, especially we've spoken to an Australian MP uh, who's expressed concern about their advancement in the South China Seas and the fact that they're kind of concrete in over everything, creating airfields. Mm-hmm. It's also a bit of a concern with the way that they are in the um, in the mountain ranges with India as well. Yeah, uh, there's reports of, of quite odds, but hand to hand combat fighting between the two armies. Yeah, twenty five thousand feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's uh, the politicians need to start turning and looking at China more. We spend too much time focusing on Russia now, like you said. Um, it's time to actually look at the other threats that are across the globe. Uh, most more recently, there's reports, not uh, official reports yet, but there are still reports that China potentially has taken over one of the airfields in Afghanistan. I don't know if you've seen this. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's that concern there as well that they're palling up with the Taliban. Yeah, I think they're likely to. Um, mm. You know, I, I think that. You know, and like I said, some of the some of their decisions are bad investments. I mean, frankly, but yeah. Afghanistan I think would be a good investment for them because unfortunately, um, Afghanistan has I believe the world's largest deposit of lithium mines. Yes, um, I saw that. Yeah, and 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 uh, since the West, uh, you know, for whatever I mean, because we are, I guess the whole West seems to be conv- committed to net zero. We're going to be very dependent on those. <laughs> yeah, that, absolutely. That and copper, and so that's very concerning. 
um, that to have China in control of such a large deposit of minerals that you know we don't really the world get needs. Yeah, that the world needs. Um, you know, I'm hoping that other technology will come around where we don't have to be dependent on that. But it would be really too bad to switch from being dependent upon OPEC um, yeah. <laughs> to show what they did. Um, when they were in control of the oil supplies for for decades, uh, to switch to now China, who are you know I think is worse than Saudi Arabia and you know worse than Russia, um, yeah. you know, and some of these other more belligerent actors that we dealt with in OPEC and still deal with to a certain extent. I mean, you you look at what uh, you're seeing with the gas the gas issue in Britain um, and Western Europe generally, depending on Russia. Because you know Britain doesn't want to use coal anymore, which is fine, except that you're paying the the Russians. <laughs> yeah, we become dependent on yeah, essentially our adversaries. So yeah. it's and, it's not great. And one thing America did do well, I know that environmentalists, most of them would disagree with this, but when we we started fracking, uh, that really saved us our energies our energy costs and we don't have to deal with this situation, but it's, it's with, we don't want to be in a situation like what Western Europe is now to Russia, the whole world to China. And that's why it's important that we build the song of an alliance as possible throughout the Commonwealth, especially also considering that there are natural resources throughout Commonwealth nations as well, uh, that can be great to utilized. Um, there is a lot of lithium in central Africa, for instance. Um, but you know, it, we have to be hard-headed right now. And I feel like right now, maybe since the Cold War is over, uh, or maybe the focus on war or terror, we, our, our foreign policy kind of went to sleep and didn't really think mm-hmm. about hard, hard-headed hard things like controlling resources, uh, yep. controlling supply chains. So that's why AUKUS is a step in the right direction. You know, Frankly, putting a stop to China's at least hard-headedness in the Pacific. Do you think we're going into another Cold War with China? China. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think we are. I mean, you know, it's yeah. it, it's a different Cold War than with Russia in the sense that Russia, we didn't really buy a lot from Russia. The Soviet Union didn't make anything of, of use besides nuclear weapons or something. I mean, they they were an economically backwards superpower. Um, but with China, unfortunately, we do trade a lot with, um, you know, I'd like to not trade with them, but they make really cheap stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so, so we all buy from them. Um, yeah, they control a lot of the production. Yeah, they do. So we're in a different type of cold war in a, in a sense. All, all of our COVID tests, they all came from China. All mm-hmm. of our masks, they all were produced in China. So they yep. control a lot of our production. Oh no, that antibiotics. Antibiotics yeah. are made in China. Uh, so if China really wanted to, uh, they could create a lot of disruption. Uh, now, obviously, a hot war wouldn't benefit China because their economy would fall apart. But China has been smarter than the Soviet Union in the sense when they saw the Soviet Union collapse, they allowed for uh, free enterprise to a certain extent. Um, now, granted, that what the Chinese system is is really not communism. It's fascism meaning fascism is nationalist socialism in China. If a, uh, you're allowed very little to no regulations, uh, to build your business. It's just, you have to have government, maybe somebody on the board, maybe the government owns part of your things. Like look at Huawei, for instance, that is a private company, but the guy who founded it was in the Chinese military. And so he has connections. 
And so that their economic model is almost identical to. I believe they have Germany two members of the party Italy. sat on the board as well, don't they? Oh yeah, and that's pretty much every large corporation in China. Because I think the Chinese government knows well we can't really run these corporations ourselves like the Soviets did, but we can watch what they're doing. And that's what the Nazis did as well. Uh, that's what the Italian fascists did to a, a lesser success. But like Volkswagen, for instance, and some of these yep. corporations that were around in Nazi Germany. Yeah, with Volkswagen. Yeah, and and the Chinese government is effectively a like I said, it's a fascist economic model, um, but it's a lot more successful than a traditional Marxist model, where you know you look at a place like Venezuela <laughs> or the old yeah. Soviet Union, you, you know, there's a very limit to what you can achieve the old Marxist model. So China's been smart in that regard. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I can agree with that. Um, so obviously, we know you're a writer and you do a lot of writing. So what are you currently doing to advocate for AUKUS, for like stronger ties amongst the countries? Yeah. I um, it, On the Daily Globe, there is a organization called the Commonwealth Realms Cancer Campaign. Mm -hmm. It was founded by Isaac Anderson, also a writer on the um, on the Daily Globe, and we have a section on there that which has had lots of articles on the on this on different Kanzik and Commonwealth issues. Uh, another way is to promote your own um, podcast, which you know we have been very big fans on, and um, I've, I've been speaking, you know, and I hope that there will be greater collaboration between. Um, our two organizations. Um, yeah, we really as, appreciate what you do at the moment. Yeah, this time goes on. I'd like to write more than I, I do. Uh, I used to write probably more, but just had my second child and, <laughs> and I'm a practicing lawyer. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah well thank you. Um, so very busy at the moment. But, you know, we there, there's such great energy um, and excitement. I, you know, I was, uh, I was disappointed that a certain org international organization has maybe not been as supportive of the movement generally as we would oh, like. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we don't want to talk about them too much. No, but... we don't want to talk about them at all. <laughs> no, yeah. no, 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 no. But, but um, I, I think that, you know, one thing that is very encouraging is there's a couple organizations that I think are worth us all supporting. And, that, and you know, um, one of them is Conservative Friends of the Commonwealth. Uh, there's a writer nice. in the Daily Globe called uh, Nicholas Morris. He's from Trinidad and Tobago. And he's been very involved in it. But um, it's, it seems to be gaining a lot of support in the, in the Conservative Parliamentary Party. Um, of course, unfortunately, the Canadian Conservatives lost the election, but they are pushing for greater Commonwealth ties. Um, there is a group of UK MPs uh, called um, the All Parliamentary uh, Group for Kanzik. Yes, uh, yeah, and they, they have some good ones that I, I like, a lot of MPs. One of them I've interviewed, uh, Andrew Rosendale. But there was another one yes. that I, I was surprised to see Layla Moran in, in that group. I thought she was an arch Europhile, but maybe she thinks Kanzik <laughs> is the next best thing to be an arch Europhile. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I, uh, I, you know, so there, there's a lot of things happening. My understanding, I mean, the, the free trade agreement with Australia is great. My understanding is there's going to be one with New Zealand. Yeah, uh, they're, it, they're tying it together. Yeah, there is one with Canada, um, which could be better, which my understanding is they're trying to make it better. I mean, unfortunately, Trudeau, um, I think that he has my understanding, at least going back to his father, he has more under, more sympathy with the Franco Francophony than the Commonwealth, um, but I'm still think that, shocked he won actually, considering his 
his party antics we've all seen. Yeah, what I mean, used to, what he used to dress up as. Yeah, what's strange is about him is his popularity is in the 30s, and for the yeah. second election in a row, he got less votes in total than the Conservative Party of Canada. Which, of course, if this was in America, which we've seen when Republicans get less votes than Democrats and win, it's an outrage. But if conservatives get more yeah. votes than uh, liberals, then it's not. But uh, my understanding is that, you know, unfortunately, the conservative vote was just very concentrated in certain places, you know, like Alberta, Saskatchewan, uh, parts of British Columbia and parts of Ontario, where they win 70 percent of the vote, whereas yeah. liberals would just pick off these little wins you know, long, and that's the other problem. Canada has a very strange system with Atlantic Canada, for instance, has, I guess, something like for the, the representation is not equal. So for in Alberta, it, it uh, the amount of representatives per one person, there's a lot more people per one representative than there is in Atlantic Canada. For whatever reason, my understanding, it was grandfathered in to try to keep these provinces more represented because they're older. But they, they have a strange electoral system, which doesn't seem very democratic, but it is what it is. You know, and, and unfortunately, he, you know, Trudeau is hanging around. He may be a dead man walking politically. I mean, he, he's tried twice to win a majority and hasn't. Uh, he is not popular, but he's still, he's still hanging around, unfortunately. And you know, I would like to see him participate, and obviously Canada participate in something like AUKUS. But I just, you know, I... I just don't know if I just don't know if he would do it. I mean, frankly, he's he's not as no. like he doesn't have as much love for China. If that's not the right word, but he doesn't. Jacinda Ardern seems to be pretty pro having a good relationship with China. I wouldn't say Canada wants to have a great relationship with China, but I don't know if they're ready to be, you know, standing they're not, up. Uh, they're not exactly splitting away. So um, we were. We were informed by one of the Canadian MPs who we interviewed about the fact that Trudeau went and purchased all the vaccines he wanted, all the vaccines that was going to go to Canada. He purchased them from China, only for China to turn around and say, actually, you're not going to have them in the end. So <laughs> I don't know if he's learned his lesson there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're bad. Like if you look at um, the, the efficiency of the Sinovac, I mean, Chile, of all places, bought a bunch of Chinese vaccines and it was like 20% efficiency. <laughs> it's you not know, very good. What, what else would you expect from a country that just steals everybody's intellectual property? It's not going to be yeah. as good as, <laughs> as the ones you know, where they actually invent it. Like yeah. the, you know, it's the United States. Slightly did. cheaper, not as good version. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. So why, why would you, that's not surprising, but that also is not surprising and is unfortunate about what Trudeau would want to buy from them first when, you know, his allies in Great Britain, obviously of AstraZeneca, and then in America, the yep. Pfizer and the uh, Moderna. So that's disappointing. Very disappointing. I, I believe Simon's got a question for you. He he, he looks puzzled. <laughs> he looks. It's his first. It's his first time on. Sure. Uh, uh, he's a he's our new co-host. Cool. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, where do you see AUKUS within the sort of um, wider strategy of NATO in the Indo-Pacific? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and, you know, I, I want to, you know, go back to what we were saying about NATO and say that I, I didn't want to give the impression that I don't think NATO is not needed. But I think that NATO is, is, is a relic in the sense that it was designed to contain Russia, which Russia does still need to be contained. I mean, Russia is going to mess around on the Ukrainian borders and is yeah, going to mess around in the Baltic states. They and are still looking there, aren't they? 
yeah, they're still going to jack up gas prices on <laughs> Western Europe. But um, in terms of the greater strategy, I think that AUKUS is more the future and NATO's the past. And what I mean is NATO is a, it's right to fo- it's right to have NATO, but instead of NATO being the focus, I think organizations like AUKUS and then hopefully the Commonwealth or this quote unquote quad and other organizations will will take a bigger role for countries like the United States and the United Kingdom and countries and then NATO would take a you know, it would be a lesser alliance. Um, and that happens in history. I mean, used to be Britain focused more on the East than on the West. The European Union economic community wasn't really, you know, an issue in the 50s. And even in the 60s, it was conceived as something that the, the Americans kind of put together so the West wouldn't become communist. And then over time, when Britain was sort of losing its empire, they they gave up, the fo- you know, they stopped uh, the focus on east, east of Aden, and then they join the EEC. And so now it's kind of just reverting to back, I think, previous strategy, which is to more focus on the world beyond Europe. Um, and I think that's what's going to happen in the 21st century, which makes only sense when India and China are likely to be the two dominant powers. Can you see? Yeah, yeah, we got you. We got you again now. Yeah. Uh, carry on where you were. Sorry. Oh, I was just saying that, I, you know, long story short, I don't know where you lost me. So I'll have to. I don't want to repeat the time of uh, decolonization. And oh, yeah. Focus on, on Europe as well, our foreign policy. Yeah. I mean, in the past, Britain changed its foreign policy to focus on Europe rather than the East because they, they wanted to join the EEC and they lost the empire and they thought that that would be the way to be a stronger country in the future, maybe being the bridge between Europe and, um, and, the, and Australia. Uh, excuse me, and, and and the United States, but I think now NATO, yes, it's going to be used, but it's going to be, it's going to be a secondary. It's going to be secondary because the realities of the 21st century is that India and China, and maybe others in the East, but definitely those two are going to be the dominant powers. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So um, early on, we uh, quickly spoke about the. Um... Afghanistan and that. So, um, what's the overall views on how it was handled by the Biden administration? And yeah, basically, yeah. are you talking about in the United States? Yeah, United States. And obviously, it was quite um, here in the press. It was obviously quite hit quite hard. Obviously, of how they came out, sort of just almost abandoned, didn't they? People in Afghanistan. So, what sort of the views over there? I guess and how Biden's. Yeah, I think with anything in America, you have to be. You know, it's hard to say what is what Americans think because there are really two different Americas in the sense that yeah. one America, there's the mainstream media, which is uh, universally supports the Democrats. Right. And they, and so they don't really report negative things about Democrats. It's very rare that they do. Um, conversely, uh, you know, if you were to listen to say talk radio or Fox news or, um, you know, maybe some right wing sites, they're almost universally critical of, of, uh, the Democrats. So it's hard to find out what your man on the street thinks. But from my views of polling uh, and talking to people, I think most people are kind of embarrassed by it. <laughs> um, it was uh, pathetic that we gave up all that military hardware. I mean, I, I'm one that I, I'm not really sure what I, I, I never, I was kind of confused what our objective was in Afghanistan after, after removing the Taliban. And for 20 years, it was never really explained to us. I, frankly, I, I'm one of the few people that thought Iraq made a lot more sense. You know, it's in the heart of the Middle East. There is oil there. 
Uh, it's an important nation. They have an educated population. Afghanistan's illiteracy is one of the highest in the world. I wasn't really clear what we were doing there. But to withdraw um, like we did in just spectacular fashion, leave all of our guns behind and give it to this lunatic terrorist organization. Yeah, not just guns, vehicles, yeah. APCs, um, which are personnel carriers, helicopters. You've seen yeah. the video of the Black Hawk flying above there. Yeah. It seems I mean, like it would have been quicker just to give them that at the beginning, wouldn't it? Yeah. Just to like... yeah. Yeah, and save us to, trillions of dollars or whatever we spent. Over. Yeah. Thousands of lives, yeah. Yeah, so I think that most Americans are, um, from what I can tell, are, are unhappy about it. Um, but again, you know, it's tough to tell because we have such a um, media that, you know, is universally, like I said, the majority of the media is going to universally cheer on Biden regardless of what he does. Um, and any Democrat, for that matter, they don't they don't report really anything negative about Democrats at all. You've and then that. and then yeah, then on the that. other side, it's it's always going to be negative. So it's hard. To, yeah. It's hard you've to seen, figure it out. You need yeah. that middle ground, don't you? you need that middle yeah, ground. we we do, and we just don't really have. I mean, we have like say the Wall Street Journal. I think is probably the best. They have a right leaning editorial stance, but not you know like eagles flying and a big flag. I mean, they they they. <laughs> They yeah. they have a pretty measured way of thinking about it, but if you read the New York Times, you might as well just pick up Pravda. I mean, that's what it is. Because yeah. <laughs> it's funny though, isn't it? Like, yeah. we've, seen so, thing, we've seen things that Trump did, and he got absolutely stated for it. And then Biden's always gone and done some of the same things, and it's sort mm. of like he's almost a hero for doing the same sort of thing. And you're thinking, oh, hang on a minute, where's the the middle ground media that's supposed to be reporting on? Yeah, where's and, the fairness. Yeah, yeah, and it's bizarre because, like in Britain, there is of course the chattering classes will remain, but you had the times of uh, the Sunday times back Brexit, but even though the times during the weekday was pro remain, you had argument sides for both. And, you know, you did have like your guardian and BBC was biased, but you also on the other hand had a lot of media that was, you know, like pro Brexit. <laughs> Whereas mm -hmm. any, any mainstream media outlet, any establishment media outlet, like I said, the exception maybe being the wall street journal is, is just rapidly propaganda. And <laughs> you, you, like I used to listen to NPR a lot, which is kind of like the sort of like a, a mini BBC. It's owned by the government. Well, not owned by the government, but it's taxpayer funded. And it used to have a lot of interesting stories. The whole point of it is same similar ones as BBC. Well, they make stuff that people commercially wouldn't be interested in. Yeah. But r really, since Trump, I, I have a hard time listening. And I'm not like the world's biggest Trump fan, but like everything was just relentless propaganda. Just constant, and, constant, wasn't it? It's just yeah. this is this and this and this is bad. What are you going to acknowledge the the peace deals amongst the Middle East? No, they didn't want to acknowledge no, it. No, they never acknowledge it. They they still find some problem with it, and <laughs> if they report on it at all, yeah. Um, and well, they so, did, didn't they? They did report on it and said that it was. I can't. Oh, I did see one report about one of the Israeli peace deals, and they just said it was a threat. Yeah, I was like, how is that a threat? It's a peace deal. They probably interviewed like a member of Hamas and claimed that yeah. was a, like a like a neutral person. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. And also, you forget he brought North Korea to the table as well, didn't you? I mean, yes, first like US president since the war. Is, is it since the war? First president ever to ever. step foot in North Korea, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, so with, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems with um, American politics, you almost have um, 
you seem to have the Democrats getting elected, then you seem to have the um, Republicans and back to them. It seems to almost be, whereas sort of in England, the Conservatives have been in for quite a while, haven't they? It seems to be almost, I don't know. You're saying there's, there's a bit more back and forth. Yeah, it seems to be with who yeah. gets elected sort of party-wise, whereas the Conservatives have been quite a while and you've got obviously the Labour try and get in. But um, in the American politics, it seems it's always... Yeah, it's very topsy-turvy. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, and I think that's because... Um, well, there's 45% of people who will vote one way regardless on both yep. sides. So there's really only 10%. Um, and they switch because generally they don't like what the other party does, whoever's in power. And I would imagine this would be the type of person that say voted for Biden and then is a little unhappy with Afghanistan. Yeah. And then they'll vote for the Republicans and then they'll see. And, and, and these people, this 10% generally doesn't pay a lot of attention usually. But they'll get mad about something, and then they'll then they'll vote one way, and then the next time yeah. they'll switch back again. Um, it it's yeah, it it is kind of strange. Um, but it, I don't know why a third party has never taken root. I guess Britain really hasn't either. I mean, Labour was, and then they replaced the Liberals. But here, there's there's no equivalent of the Liberal Democrats. I mean, there's the Greens, <laughs> but they're tiny. There's the Libertarians, who I voted for once in 2016. But, you know, they can't really win. So I think a lot of people are just, all right, well, if I'm on this side of the political spectrum, I'll just vote for this party regardless. And then, you know, so the, for the very few in the middle, they, they're just kind of, they're just kind of persuaded to switch every four years. Yeah. Um, it's kind of weird. I, you know, I don't know many people like that that switch every four years, but they're out there, obviously, <laughs> or else we wouldn't yeah. keep having these, these switches, well, but they're never big. When, if you look at it, they're never big turns. They're only like, you know, 2% here, 2% there, that makes a difference if a state goes one way or the other, yeah. if Congress is controlled one way or the other. So very few people switch, but the people that do have enormous power. Um, yeah. As can switch quite quickly. Uh, if you think about it, how long has Conservatives been in power for now? Um, since 2010? Since yeah, 2010s. So, 12, so it's not, it's not yeah, that yeah. much longer because uh, obviously Obama was in for eight years. Uh, before that was Bush, wasn't it? So it, it's yeah. not that much longer. It's only we've one more cycle. Stuff, we? Yeah, we've <laughs> had a lot of elections in the <laughs> well, last the years. So maybe Congress, that's why. Yeah. Congress switches back and forth a lot. Yes, it does. Yeah. So um, right now the Democrats control it, but only with the skin of their teeth in the Senate. But it's uh, actually looking, tied. The midterms yeah. are looking quite positive for the Republicans and quite negative for the Democrats from what I've seen so far. Probably, but you know, we got to. And that's even that's actually coming from some of the mainstream channels as well. Uh, Yeah, I saw CNN an article on CNN saying that they're quite worried about the midterms approaching all the (laughs) scandals they've already had already. (laughs) I mean, but they 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 have a year, and and of course, like with Hunter Biden, when they shut, they literally refused to let. They blocked on Twitter, didn't they? They They blocked on Facebook, and of course, there was a media blackout on our national news media. yeah, so regarding the laptop scandal, if anyone doesn't know, so uh, yeah. I believe he took his laptop in somewhere to get repaired and <laughs> didn't come back and claim it. And after X amount of time, it becomes the property of the owner of the laptop store. And they, they went through the hard drive and just found all of these photos, just really incriminating photos. And when this became an article on the New York, uh, Post. Is it the New York Post, it was yeah. just completely shut down by Twitter. Mm. Anyone posting it was getting banned for x amount of days and it was just not being allowed to be shared around and facebook and, and facebook. 
And none of the major news media reported on it. If they no. did, it was a right wing crank conspiracy. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, we'll it, see what happens in a year. I, I mean, that's that's what I was talking about earlier, though, with the U.S. foreign policy. It's kind of because it's so topsy turvy. It's really unclear, you know, long term where America's going to be. I think you do have a little more stability um, in Commonwealth countries, at least for now. I mean, you know, you know, like I said, I mean, conservatives could fall apart and. You could get Keir Starmer in there, or maybe somebody like Angela Rayner would be even worse. But, <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> but it could happen. I mean, if the yeah. economy were to collapse, or I mean, you know, I don't, I, I you know, like for instance, I, I don't know how this, you know, Boris committing to net zero, I, I don't know how well, how sustainable it is. But as the people's energy bills keep going up, if yep. people, yeah, they're going up next year. Yeah, if people's taxes keep going up, which it seems to be, if people have to rip out their boilers and their heaters. I mean, you know, that that if inflation think, keeps going up, I mean, things could things could happen that change things in the UK as I well. Even our though fuel's the likely to go up, isn't it? Our fuel's likely to go up to pay for subsidizing. Is it wind turbines? Is that what it was? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we've got some new green wind turbine subsidies, haven't we? And uh, the price cap for our energy bills is just about to go up as well. So, yeah, yeah as you said, things can quickly change. Mm. Yeah. It's often Scotland and Wales that determine our elections too. Yep. Mm. Yeah, because if uh, if Scotland stopped voting SNP and started voting Labour, it would massively change the elections then, make it much, yeah. much closer. Yeah, maybe they would if there was another second independence referendum and, you know, independence is defeated again, then Scots might be, well, there's no point in voting for the SNP anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Um, um We've got way, way away from the topic at hand, I just realized. <laughs> I just only thought, oh, we were meant to be talking about AUKUS. Um, so uh, one thing I, I, I wanted to ask about was, uh, so obviously you're an advocate of free trade and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, specifically, we've just obviously had Brexit. What do you think the UK should be pursuing in terms of free trade? I, you know, I, I want to refer back to, I, I think a trade deal with the U.S. would be great, but I don't think Biden's going to want to do it. Um, I really want it. You can get cameras so much cheaper. We have, yeah. we, have, we have a huge import on cameras and it makes them very expensive. Yeah, I mean, it would be great, but I think that, I think that Biden definitely doesn't want to do it. So um, at least for now, that's going to be shelved. Um, but I think Commonwealth free trade, like I said, that Brent Cameron wrote in his book is very a good idea. I think we could already have Kanzuk trade with free trade agreement with Australia, with New Zealand. Um, yep. I think a free trade agreement with India is more challenging, but definitely doable. Um, and of course that have to be in stages. I mean, I, I think that, you know, it's not really my place, but I, I would think if India says we well, get free trade, but we our students get to study over there. I think that's a good deal rather than having Chinese students, you'd have Indian students. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think that um, I, one specific thing that I've, I've written about, is um, if, uh, if, if besides Commonwealth Free Trade, which is said Brent writes a really good book about uh, C5 and C9, C5 would be a free trade zone with free movement. And if you don't want to use that word, free movement of labor, not free movement of people, meaning you have to have a yeah. job to move. But between the US, UK, Australia, New Zealand, and Singapore. Um, but if you look at it, Australia's, the free trade deal with Australia does contain mobility, which is good. And then and then the C9 would be countries you do want free trade with, but not necessarily um, 
but not not necessarily movement right now uh just because there's there's an economic disparity between the countries but i would include uh malaysia uh south africa nigeria india those are i mean the two largest economies in africa right there you have india is of course going to be the largest economy in the world at some point but it is one of the largest economies right now billion people and malaysia is actually the world's largest um uh, Kuala Lumpur, for instance, is the largest um, Islamic finance in the world. It, I mean, Kuala Lumpur is a fairly prosperous city. It's a former British colony. Uh, Malaysia, they, you know, speak English. It's, it's, you know, its economy is doing pretty well. And then eventually, I think you want to expand it to the entire Commonwealth. And of course, it's good to do free trade deals with countries outside of the Commonwealth as well. I mean, Japan is an easy one, which Liz yeah. just did a good job with. Uh, Taiwan, of course, that would provoke and enrage China, but <laughs> I don't see any reason why you don't want to trade more with Taiwan. Uh, South Korea, of course. Uh, I believe the EU already has a deal with South Korea. I could be mistaken, though. Don't quote me uh, on that. I believe that's correct. Yeah. I, th- I think that's correct. I think that's the largest country the EU, show how bad the EU is a free trade. Yeah. Uh, and well, they then, don't allow countries to make their own trade deals, do they, as well? Right. It's yeah, that's why Britain could the- never their own big their own positives deal. that come out of brexit was being able to make these trade deals with other countries yeah so and and i think free trade generally means more world peace um it means more prosperous citizens it means people by having cheaper products um because i think that's the key to empowering people and that's part yeah. of the goal that we always want and with the commonwealth in the word commonwealth you want people to be able to buy a more uh, cheaper camera if they want you want people to buy more food cheaper food. you want people to buy cheaper uh wine australian wine you know you you, you want people to, to be able to clothe their family and you want people to have cheaper energy costs too um despite what the green lobby uh, wants and and if you have that then i think you have a more prosperous happy people and so that that could be going back to liz truss's network of liberty a huge goal and um it's very encouraging to see and you know i hope that you guys keep going it's like uh talking about commonwealth to keep pushing this and you know um, and we encourage people who want to write on this issue to come to the daily globe and we can we we are happy to accept written submissions um and another another um of course go to the mainstream ones like the telegraph is great on this uh you know um, we wrote an article, uh, a letter to the Telegraph about the Commonwealth option a few years ago with people that include signatories included historian Andrew Roberts, for instance. But um, I think the other one, other groups to get involved with um, the Mallard in the UK is another good one that I think yep. uh, for getting the news out there. And they're good because they have such a strong, young conservatives seem to be based there. And of course, if you're not a conservative, then um, there's a writer with the Daily Globe uh, named Luke Binney, who I believe is a liberal Democrat. But yes, he is there, also... there's a liberal Democrat movement for Kansas. It's, yeah. it's relatively small now, because um, one of the comments we had was, why do you keep getting conservatives on? It's, it's just much easier to find conservatives supporting either Kansas, Caucus, or the Commonwealth as a, gem- as a whole. Yeah. Um, it, it's just not as big amongst the left, in, left groups at the moment. Yeah, and, and I think that's because the left... You know, it's unfortunately so steeped in identitarianism right now. But if they, if they would see that what's if they're interested in multiculturalism, the Commonwealth is yep. way more multicultural than the European the Union. So yeah. they need to get over that, and they need to look at. Uh, I know they're mad about Brexit, but 
you know, that's the future. And so I'm, I'm happy that, like I said, the groups like yours are looking future. I'm happy that AUKUS came out. That's future. That's a future agreement. I think that yes. Liz Truss's ne- network of liberty is future looking. And I'm finally glad that what, what's so great about Brexit is it ends the navel gazing off one continent of the world and focuses on the entire world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We got to be reaching out with all of our, uh, well, they're essentially all allies as it currently stands. Like we're all good, yeah. good in good relationships. We should be building on them. I don't understand why we're not. Yeah, absolutely. It's beneficial for everyone in the end. And should we ever have escalating tensions with China even further, I think it's very important that we got all our friends nice and close. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so, what we'll do. Uh, um obviously we've had some technical errors so i'm not quite sure how long we've been on the call for but if we move to uh little closing questions where we ask some more personal stuff about you is that all right i don't know how long we got you yeah that's fine can we uh i can go maybe five five minutes is that all right yeah that's fine yeah we just asked you some yeah some questions about yourself then so uh number one of course is what do you do what do you do in your spare time uh i uh, I, I'm an Forget attorney. Spare time? <laughs> Not much. <laughs> that doesn't sound like spare time. That sounds like work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Oh, for a spare time. Well, you know, I have a, I have a great family uh, here. I have a great group of friends. Um, I like to bicycle and bike to work. That's rare in America, by the way. It's especially rare in Texas. <laughs> but, yeah. but uh, you know, uh, I'd like to do that. Um, I like to travel. We've been to been to the United Kingdom many times. Uh, I've been to, including Northern Ireland, which is an interesting place. Um, Gibraltar, uh, Spain, uh, Morocco, you know, different places like You've that. You've been around, yeah. Nice. Yeah, uh, Mexico is great if you ever get a chance to come in. Or Belize, wonderful down here. I, I'm really into history, though, uh, history and politics. Um, I, I love reading The Spectator, for instance. Um, I love reading books. Um, I like to try to mix up uh, fiction and nonfiction. Um, yep. so, so, um, and including, you know, older books, newer books, you know, cause I think reading is you know, the most place that we can learn enough to, because I think the more we read, the, more, the better informed decisions we can make. And of course, talk yes, and yep. events like that, share ideas, you know, John Stuart Mill's marketplace of ideas, and there's no better way to do that than read as much as you can. Absolutely. Can you pick off, I don't know, maybe a, a top I'll give you five because it makes it easier. Like your top favorite books, fiction slash nonfiction. Yeah, if you want to do, let's see, both. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah, combine. I'll name some. I'll name some 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 known ones and some non-knowns just to mix it up. Um, I I love uh, Charles Moore's read, recent biography of Margaret Thatcher. That's a three-volume one. It's really good. Um, Another one that I would recommend reading is kind of obscure book where it's called The Last Victorians. And it was made in like the 20s. I got an old used bookshop. That book was amazing. <laughs> and it was by a guy who lived with, he was in Parliament at the same time as uh, Disraeli and, and Salisbury. And he, he's very smart. But one thing that he did, what I really thought was interesting, going to our, pol- our discussion today, he talks about foreign policy. And he explained exactly why World War I happened. And um, it was, and it was really, really insightful. Pretty much everything he said was insightful, including about how democracy and you know, though democracy is good, people use it. If politicians know that they could bribe the people with it, it creates a lot of problems, which we could see right now with the debt. Um, I like the Brothers Karamazov. If you've read that um, by Dostoevsky, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a good 
uh, you know, Russian novel. Uh, let's see, two more. Um, I'd recommend Case for Commonwealth Free Trade by Brent Cameron that I've said a yep. couple times. That's really good. Um, and the last one, um, I'd like to, I'd recommend this place, this book called Plane of Snakes. And these are just books I've read recently, but it's about Mexico. Is it related to snakes on the plane? Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no, it's about this guy who goes and uh, travels throughout Mexico. Uh, okay, it's, it's really interesting. It's kind of like a travel book, but kind of not. It's kind of him just hanging out down there. So you, you obviously read quite a range of selection of books, quite beefy books. Do you have time for any TV or films? Do you watch any of that? Sure. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, Lawrence is probably going to ask if you watch The Crown, so I'll just jump the gun and ask. Yeah, I, I, I did watch The Crown. I liked the first two seasons. I didn't like season. You know. I didn't. I didn't like the latest seasons. I mean, obviously, they don't like the monarchy. <laughs> they especially don't yeah. like Margaret Thatcher. So that, that's pretty clear. But it's well done. I thought Claire Foy was an amazing Queen Elizabeth. I, the next uh, Olivia Coleman was okay. Uh, not she's a great actress, but you know that that was a little. It was more of a character than I think Claire Foy's. Uh, whoever played Prince Philip in that first one was great. So I do like The Crown, but I didn't really like the latest ones. Um, in terms of Netflix, uh, you know, older shows, but uh, Breaking Bad. I'm from Albuquerque oh, originally. Yeah. That that's that's my hometown right there. Breaking uh, Bad's fantastic. Yeah, uh, I like Mad Men. Was very good. Uh, I'm watching Sopranos right now, the original one. Uh, that's oh, very yeah. good. Um, let's see uh you know i i, I liked downton abbey <laughs> uh, yeah. i liked uh, uh baptiste is pretty good um oh, yeah. yeah um let's see what other because uh, grant chester was pretty good um oh uh, poldark was pretty good uh, yeah i mean you know seen it seen oh, a so few you, things you, you do quite a bit you said you don't have much spare time but it sounds like you got You've got time for some books and time for some quite yeah, big shows, I mean, big series. Yeah, like this is uh, I mean, these are stuff. These are not all things I've watched yesterday or read yesterday. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> I do think I do think the Americans are, be, are better at making sort of uh, TV shows and things, especially like um, crime dramas and things like that. It's quite really good. Oh really? Wow, yeah, I, I, I that was a controversial remark, too, wasn't it? <laughs> There yeah. are some good English ones, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'll get the haters now, but I think the Americans, sort of, they're, they're much more of a bigger production, aren't they, the Americans, mm. I think? There's a lot more money in America. Yeah, I was say, so more, money. more money. They have a yeah. lot more money. I mean, if you're on a popular sitcom, just one actor alone could be about, I think it's a million dollars or so getting paid oh, per yeah. episode in the later series, especially in the Big Bang Theory. I think they're getting a million of dollars an episode. So oh, yeah. And there's like, a lot of money in American TV. Oh, like Seinfeld was one my favorite sitcom back in the yeah. day. That in Portlandia, but both That's of those. That's now on Netflix, actually. Seinfeld. Yeah, both both good, but both Seinfeld and Portlandia, especially Seinfeld. Gosh, those guys were making millions. This is 20, 20 plus years ago. Could you yeah. imagine how much they make now? It's a, no. it's a lot. Um, well, this brings us on to our very last question. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the podcast before. Well, then he, I... called, he said he said he's seen it many oh, times. Wow. He, yeah. so you know in what fact, he's very there. nice about it as well. Um, do you like Marmite, basically? Uh, I, 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 you is. must have known you are going to get asked it. Yeah, I know. I, I, I thought about, I don't know whether I've ever, ever eaten it. <laughs> you never had it? I don't think I have. I was trying to How think about it. How can you come it. to England and not have this perfect delicacy? That well, when I go to England, there are two things I like to get in England. I like to get the beer, uh, yeah. which is great because you don't really have much beer like it in the United States. We have good IPAs and stuff, but we don't have the bitters basically. 
And I do love getting Britain Indian food and chips and food. <laughs> so, uh, but Marmite you, you just, come to England to get Indian food. Well, the, the Indian food's really good. Um, yeah, yeah. And the uh, and Marmite, I just, I mean, I, I guess maybe I could have had it. I'm trying to think. Now I don't think I've ever had a reason. Twizzlers. <laughs> Twizzlers. 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 Have you ever had Twiglets? No. Oh, oh wow. I'm, I'm getting so desperate this... now. I'm thinking if people do like Twiglets, I'll class it as like a Marmite, I think. I'm getting quite desperate now. This I've never had Vegemite never either, before. though. I've never had Vegemite we've, we've, yeah. we've never had someone say they haven't had it. That's... Yeah. I kind of like it. to go from here. Yeah, had it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just say you didn't like it. That would help me out a lot. We'll yeah. have to have him back on, and between yeah. now and then, you'll, you'll, you'll have to try it. You have so. to try yeah, it, yeah. I'll, I'll find it on Amazon or something in order to. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really, oh. really appreciate it. Obviously, we've had some we've had some technical issues. So thank you so much for sticking around. Oh, thank um, you for having me on. It was great. I really no enjoyed worries. it. It's been, it's been fantastic. Thank you very much. All right. Bye. Cheers, guys. Welcome back. That was that was a great interview. It was yeah. yeah. Really I really enjoy talking to him. So that brings us, uh, of course, we're going to carry on the subject of Orcus uh, by talking about, the, uh, what is it we're talking about, Simon? Yeah, so I've been asked to speak to you about the uh, Integrated Security Review. Ooh. So with the recent announcement of Orcus, a deal to provide, <laughs> what's so funny about that? <laughs> Just so he said, I've been asked. To... Yeah. <laughs> we brought him on as an expert in this field. Is he going to talk yep. about this every week? Just oh, no, he's, integrated he, security. He's That's an expert eat. in various fields. Right. You guys, you guys, I'm t I was talking to the wrong camera then. There's a camera to my right. So we have done this before. You guys are in for a treat. This guy's he knows his stuff. I've literally read a book. He's read a book. No, so um, with the, with the annou recent announcement of AUKUS, which was a deal to um, build some nuclear-powered submarines for, for the Australians. Yes. Uh, it sort of really brings to light uh, what, what Boris Johnson has described as global Britain. What is global Britain? Well, in so far, I mean, really, it's been a bunch of platitudes from our Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. But last March, we had the publication of the Integrated Security View, which was the first concrete attempt to try and define what global Britain means. Um, so... Relation to AUKUS, it's stated by 2030 that the UK will be deeply engaged in the Indo-Pacific region as the European partner with the broadest, most integrated presence um, to, to foster mutually beneficial trade security values. Okay. And so whilst it recognised that Russia was the greatest threat to UK interests, um, it, it realized that, that the need for what it calls an Indo-Pacific tilt. So it still acknowledges that China is a threat. So, yeah, it, it's, it's really saying that um, over the last uh, few decades, we've, we've co perhaps concentrated too much on the Atlantic and Europe, yep. Russia, and not enough in, in the Indo-Pacific, yep. India, China, you know, South China Sea, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, so... What it brings about is twenty-four billion pounds extra in the defence budget over the next four years. Wow. I believe we'll be spending about two point two percent of our GDP on on defence. That's which a is decent amount. 
more than the the NATO two percent requirement. So yep. if Trump was still the president, he'd be he'd be pleased, happy. Yep. Um, eighty billion pounds over the next four years on defense procurement. Wow. So this is you know tanks, planes, ships. Um, it's it, it's bringing about a, an offensive space capability. Yep. Um, so currently, military and civilian satellites are quite vulnerable. Um, Britain has recently been. Is that uh, that's obviously why the UK is investing towards being able to launch our own cra- uh, spacecrafts? Yes, yeah. In fact, the UK Space Agency, um, which is headquartered in Swindon, um, oh, love space agency. Do we in the UK? We do. Yeah. So uh, David Cameron, we, we paid into the European Space Agency, but uh, I believe it was in the early years of the Cameron government established a UK Space Agency, um, and I can't remember the figures, but it's 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 now worth. The space sector is worth billions of pounds to the UK economy. Yeah. It's growing. It's, it's very important. What people don't realise, they think it's quite sci-fi to say, like, you could be having problems with wars, with taking down satellites and stuff. It's very real. It, it is a possibility. Um, and it is a serious threat. Like, you, so much of our day-to-day lives revolve around satellites. Yeah, we use them for everything. For, you know, our phones, GPS, um, quite literally, you know, all of our communications... Yep. It's crucial. So we see Russia and China uh, developing offensive space capabilities where they'll be able to shoot down our satellites. Yes. Um, so it's really important that the UK starts to move into this sector yep. and have an, both an offensive and a defensive capability. Um, and with that as well, um, we see you know, perhaps AUKUS is a great example of this, but the government's stated ambition is for the UK to become what it calls a a technological superpower. Okay. Um, so that means investing in, in key technologies of the future, such as AI. We saw the Chancellor yeah, Rishi Sunak uh, discussing that at the party conference today. Um, and other things like biotech. Um, and and they're, they're investing, I think, £6 billion over the next four years. And the idea is that you, you create these new technologies and you share them with your strategic allies yep. across the the Indo-Pacific region. So the integrated review is a is a sort of attempt to to bring together defence, foreign policy, foreign and trade policy, and international development. Um, so, so, so you try to tie it all in together. Is really focusing on how to protect the country. Yeah, um, you know, um, it, it's quite interesting. Really. For the first time, we've got a, a defence review, which is as much an industrial and trade strategy mm-hmm. as it is a defense review. Um, so interestingly, in the document, the word army isn't mentioned once. Um, okay. To pay for is these. Is that concerning? I think it brings about, about oh, a realization that yeah. in order to pay for these um, new capabilities in, in space and the new ships that we're getting, you're going to have to cut back on your conventional armed forces. Okay. So... Um, I think it's called a Pathfinder Force. You, the the, uh, the thinking is that the, we'll have a very small elite army that will go out. Special forces will expand. Yeah, standing conventional army will decline. So I think because aren't uh, we also seeing the world of hacking and drones and things like that? You probably don't cyber warfare, cyber war as well, all that sort of thing. As you say, in the sea and. Um, so you probably need less army now, don't you? Then? Yeah, and for the first time, actually, Britain has stated it wants an offensive cyber warfare capability, um, which we haven't admitted before or 
yeah. uh, aim to have. And there's a big part of the view is looking at you know what is the arena of a future war. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's I think the, the conventional army. I think the numbers are going to go down to just over seventy thousand. Um, meaning in terms of reserves in it as well, we'll probably have about a hundred thousand. Okay. So, but the, it was the whole point is that they're going to be very very well trained and obviously the uk army already is one of the best uh well-trained armies in the world yeah sure i mean it was i think winston churchill invented the concept of the commandos um so the idea is that we can have very small uh, elite forces that will go out they will they'll train local forces operate with them and then withdraw so we it's sort of a, a recognition as the end of the long protracted deployments such as Afghanistan. Mm. Uh, simply put, Britain wouldn't be able to sustain the numbers of troops that it had uh, placed in Afghanistan um, today. In the same way that our Navy couldn't deploy a task force anywhere near the size that we, we did in the Falklands War. So we see the uh, the carrier strike group in, uh, in the Indo-Pacific at the moment. Yep. That's got... Uh, a whole host of ships from other NATO countries to um, bolster it. Yeah, in fact, I think it's only got twelve British jets on there. Oh, um, really? Wow. And it's got uh, you know the Americans are on there as well to bring those numbers up. So is that is that something we should be concerned about, or is that the whole point of AUKUS is that we're all getting together? Or should the UK, if we really want to be global Britain, should we really be bolstering our own navy and having more ships and having more? jets on our on our um carriers yes that's a really interesting question i think oh thank you <laughs> i think originally we were supposed to buy something like 150 of these f-35bs mm-hmm. um we're committed to buying more but the the government haven't said how many more they will have but more broadly um yeah have we seen the end of european countries deploying forces independently of their allies i think mm. we probably have europe is uh comparatively getting ever smaller on yeah. the global stage um britain is a is a tiny country in comparison to to the rising powers of india china the usa um so i think that it's it's facing reality britain is not going to be able to deploy it's not a super power anymore we aren't um but we play to our strengths. We have a blue water navy, which means we can deploy forces uh, anywhere in the world. We've got fantastic relationships in NATO. We've got a really well-trained force, so yep. we can work together. Um, and and of course, now with with our sort of relationships, the I think twenty. So, sorry to cut you off, but where the Britain is more when it comes to any defence pacts with say the USA and Australia and stuff, we're more of the support. Obviously, we're a bit more supportive than Australia could be with their army and their navy, but we are the supporting role. Yeah, we've got a. We're not not really leading the world in the way that we used to. Um, that doesn't mean we can't assume a leadership role. So, for example, HMS Queen Elizabeth and HMS Prince of Wales—they're fantastically capable ships, yep. and they will be at the centre of a of a carrier strike group. Um, so, it's about choosing where we invest to strategically mm-hmm. invest in 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 emerging technologies and then to work with our allies um on on shared objectives nice does it have any shortcomings uh well as with any 
uh, security of you. There's always a sense of optimism in mm. in what they want to achieve. Um, so I think the I think it was the Public Accounts Committee estimated that there's between a seven and fourteen billion pound shortfall in the defence procurement budget. Wow. Um, what's when, that? What's that from? So when, for example, our F thirty five Lightning uh, aircraft that's they, they're built in America by Lockheed Martin uh, is a huge international. Um, operation to get yep. you know i think italy uk usa canada they're all buying these aircraft um and of course as the as the value of the pound goes up and down of course that has huge knock-on effects in in defense budgets okay um also the mod historically terrible at drawing up contracts mm. um so if you look at the you know the type 45 destroyers you know cost overruns delays mm-hmm. i think First I'd design them in 1991. The first ship wasn't launched till 2006. Um, ended up costing a billion pounds Is there a concern each. that they could be getting outdated? Um, yes. I mean, they do have sort of continuous development programs, but, I mean, a naval ship lasts 30 years. Mm. Um, but this is why, I mean, also with the, with the national shipbuilding strategy, oh, the whole... Good. <laughs> I promised the viewers and the listeners last time that you'd mentioned this. Uh, well, currently, all warships in the Royal Navy have to be made in the UK. That's government policy. So yep. uh, support vessels, you know, we're buying some of those from South Korea. It's really good. They're far. You know, they can build ships far cheaper than we can. In the UK, uh, warships have to be made in the UK. The problem is we've only really got one big defense contractor um ba systems is britain's largest manufacturer um and and that's sort of the merging of quite a few different um different companies they have a monopoly on shipbuilding um Mm. so they're all built on the clyde they all cost an absolute fortune they all go massively over budget the whole point of the national shipbuilding strategy is to take the modular design that they made the type 45 destroyers with and instead of building a ship in one place, they build it uh, all over the UK. Okay. Move them all together, and then stitch them together in Is one. Is that ship. not more expensive? Well, it was. It was first. I think first started, the first time we did it in the UK was the Type Forty Fives, and it was done with the Queen Elizabeth aircraft carriers. So too big to um, to build in one place. But actually, it works out a lot cheaper because you can use far more of our um, dockyards around the UK. Yeah. Um, you bring competition it's, instead of using one contractor, you can use four, five, six contractors. Yep. Um, and also defense is, is as much a job creation um, mm. exercise yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and sort of supporting strategic um, industries in the UK, so skills and scientific areas. So it's much about that as actually building the finished ship. Um, so and Queen Elizabeth uh, recently embarked on her maiden voyage, the, uh, the carrier did, didn't she? She did. <laughs> Sorry, I just had uh, an the image queen, then of the queen herself <laughs> rowing <laughs> yeah, out. The queen. Not sure that's correct. I'm sure she's been somewhere before. <laughs> no, no, no. The aircraft carrier. Right, the aircraft okay. carrier, of course. Yes, yeah, so he just mentioned. He just mentioned it. Okay. This is part of that big NATO sort of international approach. So, go to the to South China Sea and try and uh, stop the Chinese from from taking international shipping lanes as their yep. own. Okay, so how does this all tie in with AUKUS then? Is so it's about making us more, making the UK like more influential when it comes to AUKUS agreements or when it comes to, like, say, the Kanzak agreement. Yeah. If the Kanzak does a defense pact, 
how does it tie in? Yeah, so, I mean, Boris Johnson, when defending or well, announcing AUKUS in, in UK Parliament, um, had to defend a barrage of, of criticisms from the leader of the opposition, Sir Keir Starmer. Um, when he would ask the question, you know, what really does the UK get from this? Mm-hmm. He, the, sh- the, you know, the boats, the submarines are boats, not ships. The boat's going to be built in Australia. It's um, you know, a huge amount of it is really uh, sharing the, the technology and the technologies. And so, but there will be some contracts uh, to UK scientists. It will help um, sort of maintain the, the, the skills gap that you get in between renewing our nuclear program and you know, the okay. life of their boats. Um, but, but ultimately, this has a far greater strategic value than any monetary value. Um, yep. So although there will be contracts with British companies, what we're really seeing So it's not a direct, we won't see a direct uh, benefit from it in the short term. We won't see a short term benefit, but long term. Long term, it it's a huge benefit. And if you, you know, the, the whole point of the review is to try and integrate British uh, sort of our, our trade, our politics yep. and our defence in with uh, our, our key NATO allies. Um, yes. And particularly if you look at the Commonwealth countries, um, there are some key allies that government's really keen to to work close together with. So we're very keen of the Commonwealth. AUKUS is... is the name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's both symbolic and it's um, sort of strategically significant. So are there any other flaws, uh, any other shortcomings or anything like that? Um, notably, I mean, AUKUS was a great achievement, and of course it was done alongside the USA, but mm-hmm. over the last 10, 20 years, Britain's international footprint has declined. Um, our ministers travel less widely now than they did before, and our fantastic world-leading diplomatic service has endured successive budget cuts. Okay. So we, we're in a position where we need to make lots of new agreements, and the people who make those agreements are far less well-traveled and have far fewer resources. Oh, I see. I was that. wondering what the floor was where you're going with that. So <laughs> the floor is that they're not as experienced? They're not as... Tr- not well, as we have fewer of them. So, you know, our diplomatic oh, okay. service um, stationed all over the world, that yep. footprint has has declined Decline successively. Okay. Um, and also there's, there's a slight sense of confusion as to, to really exactly what this aims to achieve. I mean, there's there's definitely the fingerprints of Dominic Cummings um, okay. on this. And, and for... He was keen people, on cyber warfare. He was indeed. Um, and, you know, investing early in tech and... Yeah. Um, well, you I, don't want to be late to the tech, do you? Like, no. Being late. If they're shooting down your satellites and you're like, oh, we better start inventing something to stop this, it's too late. Yeah. And, and, and Dominic Cummings was um, always very quick to argue that Unlike most conservative governments, you should be investing. You know, the state should be taking a lot of the risk for the early investment in these technologies. Okay, they're moving away from the sort of laissez-faire or market economics and having a more interventionist approach. I see. Yeah, and so, so instead of waiting for companies to get round to maybe investing and researching, just get the state involved in straight away. Going yeah, so more like we saw with the COVID vaccine. Um, Yes, you know, the o- Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine, uh, the research and development was paid for by the British state, yep. working with private um, companies. Uh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So um, there's a you know, touch of confusion of, you know, is this a industrial strategy or is it a defence review? 
Um, I'm sure there'll be a lot more conversation about that as it sort of unravels and we see the, the application of it. But overall, it ties quite nicely in with Orcus then. It does. I mean, Orcus, is, you know, we can see the, the first sort of tangible applications of this defence review and Good. we can start to see what Boris Johnson means when he says global Britain. And do you reckon this could help with pushing for a Kansas agreement? Specifically, I guess in this instance, it's more Kansas defense. So obviously we want, we want to get these countries involved. And I think Ted mentioned about um, getting India involved as well. Is that a potential for the future? I certainly hope so. I mean, the, the, the ambitions of the Integrated Defense Review are exactly in line with with the sort of general movement towards a, a Kanzuk um, agreement. I think you know, Ted raised some some really interesting concerns that um, you know are, are there with with our membership of the EU. When you look at India, South Africa, you know these are definitely yep. countries that that Britain needs to work closer with. Um, when it comes to freedom of movement of people, you know, the problem when we were part of Europe is that you had um, the the northern European economies sucking up the the cheap labour and skills yep. from the south and eastern Europe. So you get uh, a dual problem in in southern and eastern Europe. You have a skill shortage where yeah, you know, everyone's being moved up through. And in in northern Europe and and Britain particularly, you have um, instead of investing in in um, measures to inc- improve productivity that supplement with cheap mm-hmm. labor and we're seeing that with with for example the lorry driver shortage instead of paying a better wage they you know, the yeah. pushes to, to to bring more european we've already got some we've got so obviously AUKUS is the first kind of defense agreement that we've got with the countries we of course do have already the intelligence agreement the five eyes which is between australia canada new zealand uk and usa so this could be expanded we're alongside AUKUS. Um, I think going forward, should we start looking at bringing India into this discussion? Like when when does India start coming into these defense packs? Definitely. I mean, I can think of, of you know, no better country than India to, to, to work with. In fact, I think really the, the question that should be asked is, does India really have much time for us? You know, they're a rising superpower. Yep. They've got you know, a, a really strong... Both, both a domestic and international agenda, um, and really Britain is is a very small country with to India relatively little to offer. And if, uh, as Ted mentioned, if we're not going to, for example, grant access for their students and and mm-hmm. greater flexibility of, of movement of people, but India in the grand scheme likely. of obviously not just with the UK but obviously with the USA, with uh, Australia, New Zealand, could they come inside with them? I really hope so, um, and of course. I think the big the big problem is that, that India will be one of the global superpowers, and will yep. the Americans be willing to share? Are we gonna? Yeah, yeah. Are they gonna be willing to share? But obviously, uh, they're they're much more friendly with us than say China is. Of course, uh, they were very friendly with Donald Trump when Donald Trump went to visit. They're very pally with him. So, obviously, what we don't want to happen, and is for it to be like another China. You want to keep them on our side, because obviously China just allowed to keep growing and growing and just didn't pay any attention but india are the largest democracy in in the world there are a billion yeah. people you know they're they are not a 
a third world country that used to be. They're an no. emerging superpower with a, you know, a strong domestic culture that's independent of of you know, other other Western countries. Yeah. But yeah, that just brings us on nicely. I would just like to see a um, an expansion of the Five Eyes and bring in uh, AUKUS to bring in more countries together. But at the moment, AUKUS is more, it's more specifically about building the nuclear submarines for Australia than it is mm. to do with the massive defense pact. Um, but it's something we could see in the future. It's um, the first step, isn't it? It certainly is. And the Five Eyes could actually become six eyes with an eye uh, with an actual country do you want to explain what the five eyes are i've already done it maybe if you paid attention for once (laughs) i I said it's australia canada new zealand uk and united states eyes Eyes is in eyes it's intelligence gathering yeah Ah, so they got the five eyes looking out intelligence gathering i'm thinking what the country